Before we dive into Elisha, I wanted to come to you as our church family and uh, kind of bring a little bit of an update. And uh, there's never a good time to bring somewhat hard updates within the church service, um, but I kind of prayed, well, I, I didn't kind of pray, I've, I've prayed a whole lot, um, and, uh, and I didn't really have super great clarity, um, but the best sense that I had from the Lord was, was to share it now. Um, so some of you have been a part of Oak Ridge Wesleyan Church for years, and you know the history of Oak Ridge Wesleyan Church, uh, stretching back several pastors and, and, and different buildings that we've been through and different things. And some of you are, are newer to Oak Ridge, and, and you don't really know the story. And so I kind of wanted to just share the story and share where we are as a matter of prayer and seeking the Lord, and just because this is your church home. This is your church family. And so even though the news is tough as kind of a, uh, a leader figure, I need to share news with you so that we can be on the same page and we can move together through what God has for us. So some of you would recall that years ago we met at a different church and at the time God laid it upon the hearts of the church to, to seek a different property and a different space. And through a search and prayer and a process, they were led to 11,110th Avenue North, this large campus that we have been on. Unfortunately, the time, I believe, although I might get the year sort of wrong, was right around that 2008-2009 time frame. And if you remember that time frame, there was what we called the housing bubble or the property bubble. And the church was purchased, the land was purchased during the height of the bubble. And right after the church was purchased was the bursting of the bubble. Some other circumstances that went along with that led Oh, the, the congregation at that time into a very difficult season. You may have wondered, why are there two churches so close together? They were once upon a time the same church, the same congregation. And so through a period of just kind of working and wrestling and trying to figure things out with the district, it kind of came to a solution for this church that what was maybe the best thing to do was to allow one building to be used and for the district to kind of take control of one building and for uh, Oak Ridge and our congregation to take control of another building. And so that kind of worked for a while, and that arrangement has been kind of what we've worked under. A couple of years ago, the district had the opportunity. They sold property in another place in the, in the district, and they were able to pay off their portion of the mortgage, and they now use uh, the building next to us to rent to another congregation. And so Beaming Hope Church that you see there uh, is a tenant congregation with our district, and we have our mortgage here that was re amateurized we have in the Wesleyan Church an organization, kind of a sister organization, known as Wesleyan Investment Foundation. A lot of denominations have these kind of sister foundations because banks don't like loaning to churches. If you are a church and you go to a bank, they kind of laugh at you, and they give you a ridiculously high interest rate if they even will give you a loan. And so a lot of church organizations have a financial sister that tries to help them out to get loans. We re our loan in... Uh, couple, two, two, three years ago, uh, once everything was done with the building next door with the district and trying to take ownership at Oak Ridge. WIF, part of how they keep their interest as low as they can and help there to be money to actually loan to churches is by a savings accounts that they give and by loans that they give to churches. 
and they have kind of a formula that they work off of where uh, they kind of change that interest rate for investors to keep people investing and putting money in, which means they don't write fixed rate mortgages. They give mortgages that kind of move. Some of you have followed the news in the past year. It's not a good year for interest rates. We have a fairly significant mortgage at Oak Ridge Wesleyan Church. And this year, by necessity for Wesleyan Investment Foundation, they had to change the interest rate that is our interest rate. So our interest rate has gone up significantly, which means the payment that we had to make has gone up significantly. You tie that in with where Oak Ridge is, and if you've followed with us and tracked with us for a few years, we've kind of, like the rest of the world, been through a global pandemic. And we've had some wonderful people who have been a part of our church who are no longer a part of our church. And we've had people who are supporters of our church who used to attend, and, and they give, and their financial situation has changed, which all of that kind of comes together to say, before the interest rate change, we were just barely making it. We were scraping by the best that we could. And now we have an interest rate change, and we still have all of the old financial problems. And so we're working together the best that we can to try to figure out the ways to move forward, to try to buy ourselves time and to try to be creative as a church congregation. Uh, we've been working with our district and with Wesleyan Investment Foundation. One of the things that uh, our board, our leadership, and our district with Wesleyan Foundation has done to help us a little bit is um, for the remainder of this calendar year, we've gone to an interest-only loan. Unfortunately, we just re-amateurized our loan, and if you know anything about loans in the beginning, you're mostly paying interest in the beginning anyway. So we are paying more than what we were, just paying an interest-only payment. But it buys us a little bit of time. We also have a reassessment on our USF that's helped us, and our church, because of the financial duress that we're in, we've sought the district's help, and the district at their meeting this past Tuesday has reclassified our church from an established church to a developing church. One of the big things that that means for us is that they're able to help us financially, and some of the money that we have sent to the district as uh, United Stewardship Fund, which you can ask me more about that if you want to know what that is, but some of the district assessment that we have has been lowered. That helps us to kind of get close to back where we were with the payment for a little while and hopefully buy us some time. We were still hurting before, and we still need help with all that. We're definitely working to do the best that we can to be good stewards of the building. One of the things that God has uh, really led district, our churches throughout the state of Florida in the Florida District of the Wesleyan Church to do has been to share their building with other ministries. And so this week we've begun again pursuing that. It's, we call it a cooperative use agreement where we seek to see we are in this building 24-7, 365. Is there somebody else that we could share the building with? Is there some other congregation that has the ability to spare finances to help us with some of the financial burden and we can help them find a space to gather and, and worship? Right now, that's fairly new and we've tried that in the past with some financial difficulties and we haven't found the right partner. It may just be God's timing hasn't happened yet. So we're trying again because it's something that has worked in places all over the state of Florida. And so we would covet your prayers in that process. Please pray that if that is God's desire for us to find a way to financially get through this season, that he would provide the right thing. Of course, there's other maybe more drastic things that we'll have to look at as time goes on. And so we want you to be aware as a congregation just where we're at. We spend a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time 
seeking God and a lot of time trying to figure out what's coming down the road. As your pastor, I often try to carry a lot of things emotionally and spiritually. I just need you to know where we're at as a church family so that as we go through it, we can pray together, we can trust God together, we can look to God together, and whatever God has for our church and the next steps, we can know is good. We can declare, it is well with my soul. You know what's funny? I didn't pick these songs this week. <laughs> I picked them like two months ago, and I didn't know any of this. This sermon series that we've been in the middle of, we've been talking about faith and God doing miracles. I preached this sermon series when I was at the church up in Chicago. I loved it, and I thought, there is going to be a time that I'm going to use that here in Oak Ridge. And as I was praying and putting things together this year, I thought, this is the, this is the time. We're going to use that sermon series and pull it out. So the series was all laid out. Most of the sermons were largely somewhat written ahead of time, and everything had happened this week. I knew about the interest rate. I knew about the difficulty with where our bank accounts are. The reality with our bank accounts is there's no reserves. Just to come current with where our bills are, we're draining our reserves to come current at this point. So we really don't know the next steps. We're just trusting in God's faithfulness and in his favor. He's worked a miracle to provide the air conditioning and the meet and greet. We've seen that. We need him to work another miracle. I was looking, thinking through all of those things, and I pulled up this sermon, and I read through it, and I got about two-thirds of the way through, and I, I turned off my computer, and I said, God, no. I'm dealing with that. That's where I'm at. I can't preach that this morning. There was no audible voice, but the sense that I had from God was that he said, that's still my word, John. And even if you're going through it, and even if it's a really hard time for you and your church, are you going to be faithful to my word or not? And so I said, okay. So this one's going to be hard for me, and it's personal for me, and it's personal for us, and... It's still God's word. <laughs> so I don't have anything else to share with you this morning, but we're going to go ahead with what I felt like the Holy Spirit had planned ahead of time and look at what God's word says. So if you have a Bible, whether it's a paper Bible or a digital Bible, or you need to borrow the one in the chair in front of you, I'd invite you to get out your Bible and lift it up nice and high this morning. Say, I got my Bible, PJ. It's a long story this morning. I've said that before, and yet... This one is longer than the ones I've said are long before, so just hang in. We're going to start at 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24 in just a moment. The introductory idea is that some situations in life seem so difficult that they almost feel impossible for us. A preacher retired and he moved to the country. He wanted to get out of where he was, and so he moved, and he bought a small home, and he had a, a small plot of land, but his hobby was kind of working out in his yard, doing gardening, taking care of the lawn, all of that kind of stuff. And because he had just moved, he knew he was going to need a lawnmower in order to take care of his yard. And so he goes into town one day, and as he's going into town, he sees a sign that says, Lawnmower for Sale. And there's a little boy out front, and he stops. He asks about the lawnmower. 
The boy says, yeah, it's in the back. Actually, it's, it's running right now. You can take a look. And so they go to the back, and the engine's kind of sputtering behind the backyard. And the preacher kind of bends down. He plays with the idol a little bit and revs up. It seems to be running well. So he, he takes a couple paths with the lawnmower. It, it cuts really well. So he talks with the boy. They settle on a price of $50. He turns off the lawnmower, loads it up in his vehicle, and goes home. A couple of days later, the preacher's out front of the house with the lawnmower, and he is trying to get the thing to start, and it won't start. And the little boy, he rides by on his bicycle, and he watches the preacher for a moment, and the preacher recognizes the little boy, and he says, hey, preacher, what's wrong? The preacher says, I can't get the mower to start. Is, is there some kind of a trick, something I need to know that's going to help me to get this started? And the little boy kind of smiles for a moment, and he says, yeah. If you want that mower to start, you got to cuss at it. And the preacher's kind of taken aback for a second. He says, little boy, I am a man of God's word. I am a preacher. I do not swear. I haven't swore. I can't remember if I ever have sworn. And if I have ever cussed, I don't even remember how. And the little boy smiles a little bigger. He says, preacher, you keep pulling on that rope and it'll come back to you. Some situations in life seem so difficult. They just feel impossible to us. I'm never going to get this thing started. Even if they're unimportant and sometimes trivial things in life, they can cause us immense amounts of stress. We're going to read the next story that happens in the life of Elisha. And again, I'm going to ask if the team in the back can kind of help me with clicking through our, our scripture slides. This is a long story, but man, is it a good one. So sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army. He marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter cab of seed pods for five shekels. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord, the king! The king replied, if the Lord doesn't help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor or the wine press? And he asked her, what's the matter? She said, this woman said to me, give up your son so that we may eat him today. Tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and we ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so that we may eat him, but she's hidden him. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. As he went along the wall, people looked, and they saw that under his robes he had sackcloth on his body. He said, may God deal with me ever so severely if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Now Elisha was sitting in his house. The elders were sitting with him. The king sent a messenger ahead, but before he arrived, Elisha had said to the elders, don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door, hold it shut against him is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him. While he was still talking to them, the messenger came down to him. The king said, this disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Elisha replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a sea of the finest flour will sell for a shekel, two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, look, if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this even happen? You'll see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you won't eat any of it. 
Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate, and they said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we go into the city, the famine's there, we'll die. If we stay here, we're going to die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we might live. If they kill us, we'll die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans, and when they reached the edge of the camp, there was no one there. The Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered the tents and ate and drank. They took silver and gold and clothes and went off and hid them. Then they returned and entered another tent, and they took some of the things from it, and they hid those also. And they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news. We're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment from God will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went out and cried to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Aramean camp and no one was there. Not a sound of anyone, just tethered horses and donkeys. The tents were left just as they were. And the gatekeepers shouted the news, and it was reported within the palace. So the king got up in the night and said to his officers, I'll tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know that we're starving. They've left camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they'll surely come out, and then we'll take them alive and get into the city. And one of his officers answered, We'll have some men take five of the horses that are left. Their plight can only be like that of all the Israelites here. They'll only be doomed like all of the Israelites who are doomed, so send them out, and let's find out what happened. So they selected two chariots with their horses, and the king sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, go, find out what's happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan, and they found the whole road strewn with the clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a sea of the finest flour sold for a shekel, two seas of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. Now the king had put the officer on whose arm he had leaned in charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gateway. He died just as the man of God had foretold when the king came down to his house. It happened as the man of God had said to the king, about this time tomorrow a sea of the finest flour will sell for a shekel, two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer had said to the man of God, look, if even the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? The man of God had replied, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you won't eat any of it. And that's exactly what happened to him. The people trampled him in the gateway, and he died. As I read this story this morning, the people of Israel are facing an impossible situation. And God has a plan in mind, a change that is coming. And there's a group of people who have nothing to lose, and so they choose to act and depending on the position of their faith, the nation of Israel saw God's favor in their lives. And for me, I think as we read this passage, God is asking of us four questions. The first is, what's your impossible? What's your impossible situation? For the Israelites, they were facing a severe famine. The Aramean king was sieging the, the city of Samaria. And we're told in, in verse 625 that the economy was so bad 
People were starving to death, and so a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter cab of seed pods for five shekels. And to me, when I read that, I don't mean much of anything. (laughs) But when you begin to look at it, it becomes enlightening. A donkey was a very valuable animal in that time frame. It was a beast of burden that would have been very useful. It would have been one of the last animals amongst your livestock that you would have wanted to kill and eat for food. Also, it was an animal that if you were going to eat any animal, probably the worst part of the animal to eat, kind of like you think it sounds disgusting, they wouldn't have wanted to eat the head. It also was an unclean animal, and so it would have been ceremonially unclean to eat a donkey. The price tag on that donkey's head was six and a half years' wages, meaning if you were to spend U.S. dollars today, you could buy a donkey's head for about $400,000. Seed pods in Hebrew is literally the word for dove's dung. It likely referred to pigeon manure that was used as food in very dire times. The price tag was about six months' wages for a half liter, meaning you could buy our common water bottles full of bird poop for $30,000. That's how bad the economy was. It was so bad that women in the city were murdering their children and eating them, trying to survive. The king tore his robes and wore sackcloth. He was angry at God, and he lashed out at Elisha. He could not believe that the situation could get this bad. And how does that guy keep meaning to talk for God if we are going through this? A donkey's head for $400,000, bird poop for $30,000, women killing and eating their kids. God must have forgotten about us. And I'm going after him. It may be in your life this morning, that you feel like you're facing an impossible situation. For us as a small church family, our situation kind of feels that way. We have a loan. Maybe, maybe you have $800,000 that God is laying on your heart to give charitably. Maybe you'd like to know, what is the amount that if we just paid off a, a huge chunk of principal, we could keep the payment what it was? It's about $200,000. I don't know but it seems impossible. I don't know what's going on in your life, but there could be something in your life that as you sit here this morning, you think about God and you think about the situation and it just kind of makes you angry. How could I be here? Where is God in this? I am so angry at God. I told Christia earlier this week, I'll confess to you, I was in here and I was mad. I was praying, praying circles around the sanctuary. I didn't have anything, so I took an ink pen out of my pocket. I just chucked it across the sanctuary. <laughs> I told Christy, I threw a pen at God. <laughs> There's moments that we go through where we just feel this is an impossible situation. But the second question that I think the, the passage wants us to ask is, what has God said? What has God said in the midst of your situation. The king, in all of his anger and rage, was marching out to go talk to Elisha, to to, to take Elisha's head off. And Elisha prophesied 
from God that a sea of flour would sell for a shekel and two seas of barley would sell for a shekel. And the king's officer says, even if God opens the floodgates of heaven, could that really happen? The prices that Elisha gave were still an inflated economy compared to normal or good. They were just drastically better than they were previously. A sea was about a little short of two gallons, and this amount would have made about a week's meals. So food was still roughly about two to five times what normal would have been. Think about buying a $10 to $20 loaf of bread. It's not a good economy, but it beats a $30,000 water bottle full of manure. Things don't always go where we want them to go, is what Elisha was saying. It may not be easy, and it may not look good, but you will see God at work, and you will know that he is with you. What does God say to you in the midst of your impossible? What is his voice wanting you to hear and wanting you to know? So often, we want God just to remove the situation. Maybe it would be better for us to look at what God has already said, the promises of his word, that even in the midst of the situation that we're going through, He's given us some amazing promises. In Hebrews 13, 5, he says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Romans 8, 28 says, In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. My devotional this week, the, the person who put it together, says we sometimes get this verse wrong. We, we think that it says, God makes all situations good. And that's not what it says. <laughs> It says, in all situations, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. That when we realize that we're going through the situation, the situation may be bad, may be really bad. It may feel impossible, but God is with us. And so something good is happening merely by the fact that God's presence is there. Romans 8, 18 Paul says, our present sufferings aren't worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. That what we're going through is not just equal but opposite to what God is going to do, but God is going to do so much abundant goodness in eternity that it's not even worth comparing to what we're going through in this moment. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? In Christ, or I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He tells his disciples and he tells us, I'm with you always till the end of the age. God can and does work miracles for his people. Sometimes the greater miracle is the miracle he wants to work in his people and with his people. As we see that our situation may be difficult, but God is still with us in the situation. And if God has called you to something and God is with you in it, then know that it is the Lord who will accomplish his work through you. You need to only obey what he tells you and watch what he can do. These verses were written in this sermon before I looked at them, but this is one of my favorite verses in Exodus 14, 14. God promises, the battle belongs to the Lord. You need only to be still. I have this. Keep your heart still before me. 
Jesus tells the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He tells Peter in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In the midst of our impossible, the deceiver comes to us and wants to lie. Satan always wants to get our eyes off of Jesus. And there's two lies in the middle of our impossible that he will try to get us to believe. Lie number one is that God can't do it. He, he will come and he will give the lie that the, the, the servant of the king had. Even if God opens the floodgates of heaven, could this really happen? He wants us to believe it as a church. And he wants you to believe it with whatever your impossible is. This is too big for God. Why bother trusting in him? The second lie that Satan will so often tell us is, is that really enough? Is, is God really doing enough? It's, it's the lie that essentially says, we know better than God. I know what perfection looks like. I know what you ought to do. So God, how about you just do what I want you to do in my impossible situation? I've got it all scripted. Just take my advice, God. And sometimes he calls us to dig a ditch before he provides the water and the blistering hot sun to do more work than we think we can. Sometimes he tells us to gather the jars before he provides the oil. Sometimes he does crazy, insane things. Remember when Jesus and Peter had to pay the temple tax, and he said, Peter, go fishing. And Peter found the gold coin in the fish's mouth. I know in my life there have been a number of times where I prayed for something, I wanted something, and I asked God to do it, and I have mustered all of the faith that I possibly could within me. I tried to say the right prayers. I tried to have the right attitude. I tried to do the right thing, and I prayed, and I asked God to do what I wanted, and I expected that he was going to, and it wasn't exactly what I wanted. And sometimes the temptation is, is that to think God isn't good enough and yet the Holy Spirit whispers to us in those moments what he told the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Sometimes God is calling us in the middle of our impossible situation to just get our stinking eyes off of our situation and back onto him. And to realize, even if this doesn't go good the way I define good, there is a good God who is with me in this situation, and my life is given to him for his glory and his kingdom's sake. What has God said in his word and revealed to you about the impossible situation you're in? And if you felt like you had nothing that you could lose, what would you do in the middle of your impossible situation? If you thought about the kingdom of God and you thought to yourself, I have nothing really to lose, I am going to seek after the best I can, what would you do? There's a group of lepers in this passage in 2 Kings. They're sitting at the city gate. They say, if we sit here, we're going to die. If we go into the city, it's a famine, we're going to die. So let's just go over to the Arameans. We'll turn ourselves into them. And there's a chance they're going to kill us. So they kill us, or we die here, or we die there. Let's try it. Because maybe, just maybe, something will work out here. 
when they get to the camp, they find that the Arameans have fled in the middle of the night. They've left all of their clothing, their food, and the Israelites eventually plunder them and are provided for. As you think about the situation that you're facing, or the thing that God is calling you to do that feels impossible in your life, what would you do if you felt like you had nothing left to lose? The only thing you could do is gain what God might want to do through it. There's been so many times in my life I've been at that place where I've thought, I'm, this is impossible. I told my daughter this week, recounting over my life as a single man in high school and in college, there's nothing I wanted more than, than a woman to share my life with. I really wanted to be married. And I remember I cried out to God and I, I prayed about it from the time I was really, really young. And when I was a senior in high school, I met a Christian girl and we loved the Lord and we had this great relationship and it ended. And I was devastated. And I got kind of bitter at God and I had some unhealthy relationships that didn't really work out. And eventually God brought me to a point where I said, God, I got nothing. I can't woo a woman. <laughs> and I give it to you. Whatever you want. If I get married, it's for your glory. And if I stay single, I'm finally at the point where I realize that you will be honored and glorified in my life as a single man if that's the rest of my days. And I was genuinely okay. And it wasn't until I got to that point that I experienced the person who is one of the greatest blessings in my life. And God allowed Christia to come into my life and our story to begin. There's been times our family has been in transition and God has closed every job opportunity that we thought we deserved until an only God position was ready. There's been times I've been in charge of giant events and every detail that could go wrong had gone wrong. And I, I was reminded that his power is made perfect in my weakness and lives were changed by God's power and only God ways. I've shared my story with coaches and, and mentors and people even this week and they've reminded me of the moments in their life when everything seemed wrong. It didn't go well. It looked like it was over, and yet somehow, in the midst of that, God did more in the brokenness and in the heartache and in the pain than he could have ever done if their situation had gone the way they wanted. I can't imagine where I would be if my prayers as a young man had worked out, who I would be stuck with today. I'm so glad that God didn't answer my prayers and that he let me go through heartache to have a better plan. I don't know what God is going to do in our situation. Sometimes he says, maybe even when you're tired, you can worship. When you have no words, continue to pray. When you have questions, keep reading his word. When you have trust issues, keep connecting with people. Be at peace, even in the darkest of situations. You have nothing to lose drawing near to God and trusting him and waiting on the Lord to say, God, what will you do? What is the next step for me? Maybe it doesn't feel like it's going to answer anything, 
Maybe for the church, it doesn't feel like that's going to answer everything, but God says just take that step in faith. Maybe for you and whatever your impossible situation is, God comes and you feel like, well, maybe I could try this. It's not going to hurt to try this, but you think, ah, what's the use? Why bother? Why worry about it? Why keep drawing near to God? I'm angry at God. I don't get the situation that I'm in. And God says, you have nothing to lose trusting me. Take the next step. Move forward and see what I can do. You have nothing to, nothing to lose as a church that you're not already losing going to an interest-only loan. Nothing to lose going to a developing church. See what I can do when you take the next steps. And so we're here, God. We're doing what we can do. And I think the, the passage wants us to ask the question then, what is your position? Are you in a position of faith? Or one of fear and doubt. God desires to show his impossible and ridiculous favor to his people. But our position can greatly affect how we receive God's favor. If we remain in a position of faith that says, God, you can yet do something. God, when you give me a step, I will take a step forward in faith, believing that you are with me, believing that even if the situation doesn't end up what I would call good, if it still is a hard situation, I just believe that you're with me. And I will step in faith in that. I'll dig the ditch. I'll gather the jars. I'll go over even to the enemy camp and see if there's help available for me. God, if anything, if you want to move in my life, I'm here. Just give me the next step and I'm going to take that step. God walks with us. And he says, you'll see me. You'll see my blessing and you will see my good. In your situation, whatever your impossible is, he says, just take that next step with me and I have promised that I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You can't fight the battle. You need only to be still in your spirit and to know that I am fighting on your side, to know that this will work out for good, to know that I've already won victory on the cross, that the enemy, he's throwing all of this junk at you. On the same week you're going through this, your car battery dies and there's no electricity at the church because Satan doesn't want you to see me. He wants you to look at everything that is broken and wrong. But I am with you. And it will be good. It may be really hard. And it may not be what you want at all. But I love you. And I'm with you. And I'm working in your life. And I will use this to glorify the name of Jesus and my kingdom. Oh, my kingdom will come. My will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you have a position of faith? Or a position like the servant of the king? He says, God can't do that. Even if the floodgates of heaven were open, God, God can't do anything in my situation. God says, you'll see the hand of God, but you don't get to experience it if you don't choose to trust me. Our church desperately needs to experience God's favor. I really invite you. I I hope you pray for us. Help us as we try to take steps forward and try to figure things out. Be a great time if you want to have friends or family members that 
are looking for a church, we'd love to have people join us in a difficult journey, but one that points to God's goodness. If you know of a church that, especially, I would love a church that's a, a different cultural group that we could share space with. Our church has such a missional heart. It would be so great to share this space with somebody that we can be a part of a broader kingdom of God than just people who look like us and talk like us. I don't know what God will do. And in your life, I don't know what's your impossible. But we need to listen to what God says. And he reminds us he's here and he's present and he has this and he's with us. He calls us to take steps, to trust him, to be obedient, to remain faithful, to keep praying, to keep reading scripture, to to keep tithing and giving and trusting that God has a plan and a path. He says, will you trust me or not? Right now, we don't have to buy a liter, half liter of bird poop for $30,000. We're better than that but we're trusting and looking for what God has. And we will see the goodness of God for each one of us as individuals and for us as a church. And whatever you're going through in your life, I can't tell you it'll work out exactly the way you want, but I can strongly encourage you to trust God and even when it's hard, and you will see him do good things in your life. So let's not be people of faith and doubt, but people of fear, or people of faith. <laughs> not fear. Invite Jim if you come and play. We're going to pray for a moment, and um, you're welcome to pray from your seats. You're always welcome to use the altars and pray if you'd like, but we just need to seek God together. Can we do that? Oh, Father God, You know how much I have wrestled with this passage and this sermon this week. I didn't want to preach it because it's where I'm, where I'm at. It's what I'm dealing with. It's what I'm wrestling through as a pastor today. God, I don't want to give tough and difficult news to anybody. Sometimes it's the reality of our situation. And for each one of us, God... In our lives, we go through these moments and these times where it feels like what our church is going through. The situation looks impossible. It looks hard. It looks bleak. And the enemy tries to get our eyes on all kinds of things, believing that you can't do it or believing that when you do show up that it's not enough because it's not what we wanted. But God, you work abundantly for favor and goodness and blessing in the lives of those who love and trust you. And the number one way you do it is is because Jesus died on the cross. So who we are is not the debt we carry. Who we are is not the, the sin that we've encountered. Who we are is not the situation that is before us. We are yours. We are children of the Most High God who Jesus Christ gave his life to redeem. So help us to continue to worship the King. Help us to continue to know that Jesus is over everything. That as we look to the King of Kings, we can declare it is well with my soul. Even in this, God is good. He is with me. He has a plan and a purpose. My life is available. Use me for your kingdom. Use us for your kingdom, God. 
this church belongs to you. Like every church, it has a history and there are moments of, we would look at and everybody would say, wow, that was a great moment in the life of the church. And like most churches, there's moments that we would look at and say, that was hard. It was difficult. And yet we made it and God was with us and we saw him. We're in one of those moments right now, God, where it's hard and it feels difficult. But you have a plan and you have a purpose for each one of us and for this family. And so God, I just ask that you would help us to see the next steps. Help us to take them in faith as a church family. God, we pray over this cooperative use idea. If that's something you want to use, we pray that you would use it. God, we know that there, there can be miracles. You can work miracles. And, and it could be that somebody out there desires and feels like you lay it on their heart to, to give and to contribute in a significant way. And God, we don't want you not to do that because we haven't asked for it. So we ask and believe on faith that God, if that's your desire, you would help us to do it. God, we don't know what you're going to do. We can't determine what your favor might do for this church. But help us to be people who have faith. Help us to be people who say, even if the situation doesn't go how I want, even if it gets harder before it gets better, help me to see Jesus at work in the situation. And God, I gotta believe there's a number of people today that they're listening to all this, and this is not about a, a church gathering and, and what's going on with the church. This, this is real to them and their spirit and their life as an individual. And God, I just pray for your grace. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just wash over them today, that you would remind them of your profound love, that you walk with us in the valley of the shadow of death, that you lead and guide us, that you have still waters to lead us by, quiet green pastures, that your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life, that you will anoint us and our cup will overflow with the goodness of your blessings. Help us to trust your word. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Help us to walk in faith with what you've already told us, Jesus, and know that even in the difficult situations, you work good for those who trust you, for those whose eyes are fixed on you. So we turn our attention today away from the wind and the waves. We walk out of the boat onto the water and say, Jesus, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, that we may see what only you can do in our lives as individuals and in the life of this church. We give our lives to you, Jesus. We surrender to your will. We give our church to you, Lord Jesus. We ask for your providence. It's not ours. It doesn't belong to any one of us. It doesn't belong to Pastor John and Pastor Christia. It belongs only to Jesus. It has been used for your glory, and so long as you give it the ability, it will be used for your glory. So God, we trust it to you and ask only for your providence and direction in Jesus' name. We love you. We want you to know that we care and love each one of you deeply. And we're praying for you. And we continue to remind you of what we've always reminded you. 
We have the opportunity to worship as you exit through giving of tithes and offerings. And we want to invite you back next week as we continue to lean into God who asks us to be people of faith and who shows his favor in sometimes difficult ways, but very powerful and miraculous ways. Go with God and have a great week. God bless you, church family.